0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tonight is the Field of Dreams game out in Iowa. Last night, it was the Mets who wandered out of the corn and found their bats right where they had left them, right next to the farmhouse and Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones before he sold out to talk about roast beef sandwiches all day. Wednesday night, it was the Mets that had the Meats and a desperately needed win against the Washington Nationals, too. I just realized James Earl Jones went to work for Arby's and met the Meats. Met the Meats. Met the Meats. Ah, here's the song. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing. While coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Scootily down Mets win a game and bang, just like that They're back in the thick of it in the NL East They were just 2-9, now they're, well, 1-0 and oh, And we'll review it One game, that's it, I know it's supposed to be two But a humidity-drenched city field And all they could get in was one When rain was on the horizon Josh Lewin with you. We were set to chronicle the 12th doubleheader of the year. Two more on the docket for later in the year after today. It'll be the most doubleheaders for the Mets, already actually, the most doubleheaders since 1979, which was a terrible year for the ball club, by the way. 63 and 99. They went 6 and 32 in their last 38 home games back at Shea. But in this supposed doubleheader, scheduled hastily for last night, only game one actually played. More summer nonsense moving into the area. The radar looking like someone had bled all over it. So we're going to have a situation where last night's game two becomes today's game one of two to be played. Hopefully. Does that make any sense? Please do note, tickets for last night's game will not be valid for admission to game two of the doubleheader today. There's a digital voucher that will be loaded into everybody's MyMets tickets account, accessed by clicking the vouchers tab, by the way. And that'll be accessible well before first pitch. That voucher is redeemable for the remainder of 2021 except the Subway Series games and even April, May, and June of 2022, if need be, except for opening day. I know it's all complicated. Mets.com rain if indeed you have questions. But let's get at it. The completion of a suspended game from the night before. We hit the restart button yesterday with the Mets down 3-1 to one in the second and the Nats immediately made it. Four to one off Rich Hill, and he would last only three innings of technically relief work. Three runs allowed, seven base runners allowed, but then at the bottom of the third—really the first assembly line type inning the Mets have enjoyed in two weeks. McNeil singling in Nemo, Conforto an RBI roller back to the mound, JD Davis an RBI double. In the middle of all that, a rocket of a double from Pete Alonso, and what a game he would have! He had come in over his last 21, and having told us all too, in the words of Monty Python, always look on the bright side of life. Just smile on through the pain. Uh, However you feel about that rather Midwestern up-with-people approach, it was good to see. The three runs in the third, and good to see Alonzo in the middle of it. In the first three innings of games this year, the Mets have been hitting just 214. They have averaged 1.1 runs over that first third of a game. And that's always added pressure to starting pitching for the Mets. Keep the opponents off the board early because you know the Mets aren't going to score. This time, four runs in through three innings. It was 4-4 going to the fourth. But Luis Garcia for Washington brings home a pair of Nats with a double. This is a guy who's really never been able to hit lefties but worked on it this year in the minors. And pow, right in the kisser against Rich Hill on a 3-0 count, no less. Then the red-hot Riley Adams would single in Garcia. And man the Mets are down 7-4, looking like they could now be 1-4 against the Nats and Marlins here in August. That just can't happen. I mean, if, if you go 1-2 and two against the Reds, okay. 0-3 oh, against the Phillies in Philly is not ideal, but understandable on the road. You can't go 1-4 against the NL East bottom feeders. Not right now. So, the Mets went to work, slowly but surely, the dripping faucet started getting some water out there on the field. Conforto singling in McNeil in the bottom of the fifth. Mets were within 7-5. That against the starter Joe Ross, who always seems to get his hat handed to him against the Mets. Pete Alonzo, another booming double to score Nimmo in the bottom of the seventh inning. That against a guy who sounds made up. A guy named Klobositz. It sounds like one of the meds advertised during people's court commercials. Jardians, Zeljans, Biktarvi, Klobositz. Anyway, now 7-6, to six. the Mets are within a run. Mets relievers doing their job. Trevor May has shut down inning. He's been really strong of late, 1.7 ERA since the All-Star break. Familia, Castro, Drew Smith, all with scoreless innings after the rough three innings from Hill. Then the breakthrough, bottom of the eighth against Mason Thompson. J.D. Davis doubles to right. Good to see him hitting again. Thompson then throws one away, trying to get Jonathan Villar, who is racing up the first baseline on a bunt, in that next at bat. Davis in the score to tie it up. Now, the previous inning, Alonzo had been stranded when Dom Smith and J.D. Davis both popped up. This time, though, after a James McCann ground out, who are you going to call? No, not not Ghostbusters. Idiot. Uh, Brandon Drury. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I called you an idiot, by the way, but Brandon Drury, pinch hitter extraordinaire. Here's what happened. 3-2 pitch. Drury, it's a broken bat floater up the middle, a base hit in the center field over the leaping second baseman Garcia. VR comes home and Brandon Drury comes through again. The Mets have taken the lead. It is eight to 8-7 here in the bottom of the eighth. And Brandon Drury has been a pinch hit superstar for this team. It was a broken bat floater over the drawn-in infield to give the Mets their first lead of this game. Wayne Randazzo with the great call on WCBS. 8-7 Mets, although they still couldn't get that hit to really break it open. Nimmo fouled out, McNeil another single, but then Alonzo hits into a fielder's choice to keep it at 8-7. Eight runs is great, though. That's five more than the Mets have been averaging these last three weeks. They ended up with 13 hits, most they've had in a game in two weeks. And as for Drury hitting 533 since his promotion from Syracuse on July 24th. He's now 13 for 25 this year as a pinch hitter. OPS of 1500. All of that leads the majors. Now coming into this season, Drury as a big league pinch hitter had been 8 for 39. As a Met, he's 13 for 25. Ed Cranepool as a Met you might know, had a season where he hit 482 in the pinch. That has been the longstanding National League single season record. Jose Martinez, who the Mets hope to activate in September, had a 462 four years ago in St. Louis. But the new standard may be being set before our very eyes by a one time 13th round pick of the Braves, B Drew. Brandon Drury is a 520 hitter off the bench. So it's up to Edwin Diaz to close it out. A 1-2-3 inning without a Juan Soto sighting, which was key. This guy had three hits on three different kinds of pitches, his first three at-bats, and a walk. One of those hits, of course, a home run from the day before. I'm calling for the Barry Bonds treatment here, like the 0-1 Barry Bonds treatment. Just walk that guy every time is my vote. Didn't have to worry about him in the ninth. The Mets riding seven hits from the top third of their order. And they win the thing eight seven. Nimmo had two hits, McNeil two hits, Alonzo had three, with exit velos of 107, 108, and one ten. That's the P Alonso that's been missing. After the game, the skipper spoke.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it shows who who we are as an offensive team. Uh, and I know we haven't we haven't shown up to be like this offensively, but these guys have hit like this uh in in their careers and just it's just good to see some of the good swings that these guys are putting there repeatedly whether it's a swing and miss whether it's a foul ball whether it's a ball that's hard hard hit in play uh we saw a lot of that I like the conviction behind the swings that we took out there today it was good to see that repeatedly um it shows the hard work that these guys have been putting just to get into um this you know and connect uh just quality of bats and hard contacts one after the other. These guys can do that and we've always trusted that they could and, you know, it's just been tough to watch uh, at, at times uh, just for the number of days that we weren't doing what we did uh, uh, tonight, starting last night because we had some good hard hits uh, in that first inning against Espino. It's just great to see. So, you know, we just gotta gotta keep believing in it. You know, that's who, that's who we are and just, just gotta keep going game to game with the same approach and I loved it. These guys are resilient. I mean, they're always they they always think they're gonna come back in the game. But this is the one piece that they were missing, and it was good to see it. Not just the hits, Louie, but how about the well placed outs that move runners across and the bunting and just fundamentally sound at bats. There are a lot of good things that happen. Uh, the the yeah heads up base running by uh, McNeil. I know on the on the back end of the play, Comforter got trapped between first and second. Uh, yeah, the bond by uh, Villar just putting pressure uh, there. Unpredictable player, right? We we talked about that. He he created things uh, and then he created a run there out of nowhere and was able to uh, put himself out there as the as the winning run when he scored on that bloop single infield infield in from Drury. So just a lot of a lot of good things. Uh, we made we made an error. We made an error uh, on the basis, but the guys kept came back and, and made some good plays that gave us a chance to win. And uh, it's nice to see. This is this is what we've done for the most part this year. It's just fight and and fi- uh, find our way into into really really um, big wins. We have several of this. I had questions here before about is this the biggest win of the season? I mean, uh, there, we've we've had a lot of big wins. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, it just shows. I, I think it just shows who we are.
0: Thank you, Luis Rojas. And agreed. Big win. Down four-one. Down seven-four. They found a way against an admittedly pretty toothless Washington ball club, with the obvious exception of Soto, who we will talk about again later in the podcast. But yeah, big win, no slipping back to 500. 57 57-55 the record now with 50 games to go. One of them will start, weather permitting, at 12-10 this afternoon. We mentioned how light this Washington lineup seems now. More of a bucket of feathers than a bucket of bricks. No Scherzer, no Trey Turner, no Schwarber or John Lester, Jan Gomes, Josh Harrison, Daniel Hudson, Brad Hand. It's like going to a Saved by the Bell reunion and the only character that shows up is Mr. Belding. But this is the team you're playing right now. Might as well beat them. Let's get in a few random items here before we wrap things up. we got another 10 minutes together. Uh, The now daily... Mets injury update. We should probably get a sponsor for this because it's like every day we got to do this. Did you realize of the 26 Mets on the opening day roster, four of them have been active for every game? Four of 26. Dom Smith, Trevor May, James McCann, Aaron Loop. That's it. Everybody else has gotten got at some point. The Mets have lost 1,440 days to injury this season. Padres and Rays actually have more, but those two teams have multiple players who are rehabbing from Tommy John's surgery, and they count against that. So the Mets, with only one player like that, Noah Syndergaard, the vast majority of the Mets' injuries have occurred in season. Speaking of which, Javi Baez rounding back into form after the scare with his hip and back the other day. Let's talk Javi for a second. Still so tough to figure out. In some ways, not a Sandy Alderson type of player at all. I mean, Sandy's core beliefs about baseball start with the precept that it's not smart to swing at bad pitches. Instead, you're supposed to force a pitcher to come at you on your terms. Attack a hittable pitch after working the count. That's better than just flailing away than uh, at anything that comes up there. The lowest percentage of pitches in the zone the last five years, all right, Bryce Harper, Javier Baez, Giancarlo Stanton. Harper's percentage of walks is 16.5%. Stanton's is 11.5%. Baez's is 4%. Now, he's still on pace for a very exciting 40 homer, 25 steal kind of season, but his OBP is less than 300 Hitting fastballs, still a thing. 2016-17-18, he hit 310 on fastballs. But the last three years, he's hit about 235. He's also very rarely going the other way like he once did. I know he did that for a game-winning home run when he first got to the team, which was great. But over the last couple seasons, about 18% of the hits for him have been the other way. The previous two seasons, 33% went the other way. And he's still in the the lowest one to to two percentiles on every contact stat we could roll out there. Juan Soto is exactly the opposite in some respects. Soto's got the best chase rate in baseball, only 13%. Baez tied with Salvador Perez for the worst at 46%. Back to Soto, who posted on his Instagram on Tuesday a picture of himself leaning on his bat during BP at Citi Field, gazing out towards the home run apple. And the caption was, Deja que Dios... Mueva las fichas por ti. No podemos solos. Translated, I had to run it through the old Google, that's let the Lord move the chips for you. We can't do that alone. Okay, that's very nice. But the hashtags, hashtag Big Apple, hashtag Dream, hashtag New York, hashtag Future. Wait, what? Is that trying to slide into the Mets DMs, you sly dog? If so, you had me at... Deja que Dios mueva las fichas. It's very curious. It's very interesting. Very TMZ for me to even go there. But I am intrigued. Guy put out hashtags. The Big Apple, Dream, New York, and Future. Juan Soto. That's a sentence to try and maybe make work someday. One current Met who loves the Big Apple himself. We've now heard Noah Syndergaard may indeed return as a reliever for this year. Remember, he missed all of last year rehabbing that UCL tear. Targeted a return date here earlier in this season, but that return date pushed back because of the setback in his rehab in St. Lucie at the end of May. Pitched one inning May 25th, and then the right elbow soreness, his velocity was way down, he got shut down. Anyway, he's about to turn 29, eligible for free agency this winter, and it would enhance the market for his services if he can return and show that trademark velocity even in a relief role. I remember Noah throwing 100-mile-an-hour gas out of the bullpen in that Dodgers playoff series in L.A. six years ago. That worked out really, really well. This afternoon, the series finale. Again, 12-10 first pitch for Game 1, and the Pete Alonso Marvel comic books go to the first 12,000 fans through the gates. Then, after this doubleheader against Washington, the big kids get out of school. 13 straight games for the Mets against the two best teams in the National League, the Dodgers and the Giants. First, the Dodgers series starting Friday night. Mookie Betts just hit the IL, so that's a bit of a break. But having to face Walker Bueller, that is not a break. He was National League Pitcher of the Month for July. And on tomorrow's podcast, we'll scout LA at length. The short version is they are freaking loaded. One final nugget, since we still have a little time. I mentioned right at the top of the podcast, tonight is a Field of Dreams game in Dyersville, Iowa. I have a couple things to share with you about that movie, which is now 32 years old, 10 years older than Juan Soto. Uh, As for the Field of Dreams itself, my son and I made a field trip there during the All-Star break several years back. The Mets had finished the season's first half in St. Louis, and we drove up to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We watched a single-A game, Cedar Rapids Colonels. Bought a stuffed version of their mascot, as I recall, Mr. Shucks, uh, you know, for the colonels, the corn colonels. Uh, that mascot was like a, a bride of Chucky doll. Very bizarre looking. But anyway, just up the road from Cedar Rapids is the home of the Field of Dreams, Dyersville, Iowa. Not too many towns of 4,000 people get this much attention. And there was actually a pitcher who grew up near Dyersville, about five miles down the road, a guy named Tom Wegman who was a Mets prospect, came very close to making the majors a couple of times. His minor league career began the year after the movie was released, but he never did get his Moonlight Graham moment, not even one appearance in the majors. The Mets had a chance to promote him, the Orioles later on. Uh, He's now selling cars in Binghamton, New York, where his two sons are playing college ball. When he was playing for the, the Binghamton Mets in the AA, he met a nice girl there, got married, settled down, all of that. Tom Wegman had two really good years as a Tidewater and Norfolk Tide. He was there for the last year at the Old Park and first year at the New Park when they made the name change. Clint Hurdle managed the 93 Tides. That team included Bobby Jones, Eric Hillman, Goose Gazzo, Dave Tailgater, Anthony Young, Jeremy Burnitz, Ryan Thompson, among others. But for what it's worth, my son and I had a really nice time hanging out there at the Field of Dreams. And the Yankees and White Sox are not going to play on that actual field they retrofitted a whole different major league style field that kind of abuts that one. But at at the original Field of Dreams field, they basically just have pickup baseball games going on all day and fathers and sons are having catches. You can walk around in the corn. I know it's not a tour on the circle line. It's not a night in the meatpacking district, but it is still pretty fun. You know who would probably like the meatpacking district I just realized? Yeah, James Earl Jones. See what I did there? I could make Arby's jokes all night, I really could, but I, I hear the music, so I guess it's time to introduce the Mets in the Morning house band on keyboards, Desi Relliford, slapping the bass for us is Johnny Manel, the horn section, give it up for Juan Legaris. and on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Sung Koo. This is Josh Lewin. Once again, we'll try that double dip thing later today. Tell your friends about the podcast if you haven't already. Subscribe to it. Leave us a nice review. Spread the pollen. Spread the love. And for God's sake, stay dry. These rainstorms out of nowhere are starting to cheese people off. But feel better about this. The Mets have a one-game winning streak as we go along. Take it easy. Bye-bye.